Hi, welcome to the BA Brew. I'm Jonathan. I'm Andrew. And I'm Debbie. To, today's podcast is uh, to celebrate the launch of the new third edition of the Business Analysis Techniques book, um, 123 Essential Techniques for Business Analysis Success. Um, Andrew, what's your favourite business analysis technique? I'm not sure I have a single favourite one. There are, there are loads that I would put in that list, but I guess uh, I might pick out um, something like a power interest grid uh, because of its... Firstly, it's a very simple technique for people to understand and people to use, but it stimulates a lot of conversation and discussion about stakeholders, and obviously stakeholder engagement is a massive part of being a BA. And then when you've, when you've done it, it provides you with something that you can use for all sorts of things, for stakeholder engagement, for communication planning, for setting up governance structures and i think it's just a really it's a technique that, that you know people seem to love using and find really useful mm-hmm. Debbie, have you got a top one well it's quite interesting really because i love techniques okay i just i like analysis i like techniques that's my thing and some of the techniques that i really like are things like decision tables because i really like logic <laughs> So this makes me now sound like the geek in the techniques world, but I really like logic and I love decision tables because you can use them to really be so clear about business rules, which I think quite often overlooked. But the technique that I think I use absolutely the most is CATWO, which is going to be, I know, the controversial (laughs) one. (laughs) There's a sharp intake of breath from the crowd because... That W is so, so, so useful. You know, actually asking yourself, where is this person coming from? What's their agenda? Is there an agenda? What do they think is important? Where are their priorities? That really helps. And aligning it with what Andrew's just said about the power interest grid, together, those two techniques are just a fantastic set. Interesting. So I'm going to answer my own question. Excellent. Um, and, and I can't choose a single technique, but I think my favorite techniques are ones that look at concepts, the ones that look at ideas, and, and the types of techniques that I'm thinking of are things like capability models, value streams, um, the business use case diagrams, probably my, probably my current favorite technique, because what, what they allow me to do is to look at concepts and test out ideas and build common understanding with the people that I'm working with. And one of the things I really like about them is that they don't constrain how we move forward with our solutions in quite such the same way as more detailed techniques. So I like them because they they help to capture the logic, but I can use them to test out ideas with the team to help push things and ideas forward. And um, they show, well, lots of them are very customer centric. So showing the, the stakeholders, um, the actors around my business use case diagram or, or the customer on my value stream. Um, I just find them really useful to test out the logic and to work with people. Thank you. Should we, should we take a look at um, undervalued techniques? What, what sort of techniques do you think are underrated or overlooked? Um, and Debbie, do you want to go for this one to start off with? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one, because I think there's quite a few, because if you look at it the other way around, and I know Andrew is uh, is very keen on some of these techniques, there are some techniques like user stories that everybody uses. Well, not everybody, but lots of people, okay? And quite a few people use use cases as well. 
And then you've got sort of investigation techniques like what I call the ubiquitous workshop, because, you know, if there's a project, we've got to have a workshop type of thing. And I think that means that you can end up with a really small toolkit, you see, mm -hmm. and then keep rolling the same ones out. So in terms of undervalued, to be honest, do many people actually draw class models? Mm. What do you reckon, Andrew? I was, I was going to mention class models yeah. because uh, I, I would say, from my experience, it's not a technique that that's, why, that's that widely used by BNs. Mm. It won't surprise you, Debbie, to, to discover that I think it should be. Okay. Uh, then I've got a very strong modelling background. But again, you know, once you get your head, your head around the technique, you can, again, documenting business rules, as you just said, uh, finding out more about the data and the data requirements, a really powerful technique for a BA to use. But I, I then I would say that's both undervalued and underused, I reckon. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think sometimes, and this is why we originally started thinking about writing this book, to be honest with you, because we wanted to say there are loads of techniques, you know, and actually in a given situation, some of them are going to be really, really helpful. Yes. So you know, understand them. And do you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking this morning, well, you might not think it's funny. I thought this was funny. I was thinking about business analysis, okay? And I was thinking about business analysts and working in companies. And I thought somebody ought to draw a customer journey map of a business analysis piece of work. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I know, I think I'll do that. So I haven't done it yet because I haven't had time. But... Don't you think that's the great thing about techniques is you can use them in all sorts of different situations and they help you find stuff out? Yeah, I, I think the need for the toolkit, it's, it's more than ever, we've got we've to have a toolkit. And, and one of the things I like about the, the techniques in the toolkit is that we can apply them to ourselves and to our own working practices to try and understand and, and improve how we, do, how we do our work. Yeah, I thought you thought about business analysis all the time, Debbie. I didn't realise there was ever a gap in that process. <laughs> well, actually, on that subject, you can't see it, but to my right is a whiteboard, which is already quite sad. And on that whiteboard is a, a list of things to do, and they are all Moscow prioritised. Oh, Andrew, I'm, I'm, I'm just in awe, actually. That's <laughs> absolutely in awe. But Although I have been using the technique for 25 years, so... Oh. I, therefore, I'm quite a big fan. So Moscow, I, I really like Moscow um, and think it's great for obviously prioritisation, but I, I do think there's some big issues with the practice of using Moscow. I think it's been overused in waterfall projects. There's one of those techniques where we need to go back to basics and, and work out what's the difference between the must and the should. Um, and when is it that we'll, we'll, we'll have a could in our priority list? And, and the W, I think, is the most mis misused. The want to have it won't get this time. Um, and I know there are other versions of that, but it's out of scope. And people, people seem to move it around in terms of what the definitions are of those particular techniques. And I, I think it's one of those techniques that's quite often misunderstood um, and misapplied. Obviously not by you, Andrew, though. Well, the problem is there are different definitions of Moscow. You know, the BCS definition is slightly different to other definitions and all companies have their own. And it's the W that actually most commonly varies in my experience. But I, the key thing is that everyone who's working using that technique needs to understand, you know, here, this is what these four things mean. And I think that, that bit's often missing. Um, as, as another example of a, of a really simple 
technique that's actually quite challenging to apply and get it right. Yeah. 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 I'm going to throw in an underrated technique that I really like, and it's the Jahari window. And this is where... I was going to talk about that. Oh, well, I'm stumbling you. And this is, you use this to understand what you know about yourself and what's known to others, and then you use it to understand what others know and you don't know, and the things that are in your blind spot. And I, I think it's one of these techniques that business analysts can pick up to use to improve their self-awareness. And I think, I think there's quite a few different tools like this, but it's just one of those techniques that, and it is a little bit geeky, I think, the Jahari window, but, but it's one that I think is undervalued and underrated, and sometimes we, we should have a bit more self-awareness about our work and how we interact with others, stakeholders and whatnot. So sorry, Debbie, I've stolen thunder on that one. No. Um, what were you going to say about Jahari window? You like it as well? I really like Jahari window because I think it, it really reminds you that there are things that other people recognize about you, but you don't recognize. And then there, then there are the things that nobody recognizes that's completely mm. unknown unless it's specifically explored. So I really like it too. But, you know, when you were talking there, Jonathan, I, I did smile. I'm sorry. And I'm now going to lower the tone completely because, as you know, I'm a Friends, the TV program, obsessive. And I was sitting there thinking, yeah, it's like that episode of Friends where they know they don't know that we know that they know. Does anybody know that episode? No. Cultural reference. Ooh, I my head. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It is true because basically they have this thing that some some of them know something and some of them don't know that they don't know. And it always reminds me of Jahari Window, yeah. which is that thing of, you know, you don't know that they know you know sort of thing. And okay. and actually when it comes to self-awareness, I think that's that's really quite a good technique to be aware of. Yeah, I don't think you've lowered the tone there, Debbie. It's not lowered the tone. It could have been a lot worse. You could have gone gone in a different direction. <laughs> but for me, it shows you the importance of feedback to get the awareness, so that and 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 constant feedback and and listening and learning and and trying to trying to improve and um, just a really good technique. Um, what about controversial techniques? Are there any controversial techniques um, they can think of? Well, I've mentioned Catwoe already. Well, well, I was going to also mention Catwoe in that cat. I think Catwoe fits into quite a few of these categories. Mm. I think it's underused. I think it's undervalued. I think it's controversial. Really? Uh, it's a very powerful technique, but a, lo a lot of BAs struggle with it because it's of its subjectivity, I think. Uh, and also, maybe they're not involved at that stage of the project. You know, so I think it's a, it, so I put, I put Catwoe in all of those counts. Yeah. Again, a, again, a very, again, a bit like Moscow, it's a very simple technique but very hard to master. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's a very good summary, actually, Andrew, because that is the problem with some techniques. You know, I mean, I can remember years ago teaching a group, I'm going to go back to this decision tables here, okay? And, and actually, if you understand how to put a decision table together, it is a very straightforward technique. If you don't understand how to put it together, you can get yourself into all sorts of problems with it. And yeah. That's actually, I think, one of the reasons why we put this book together as well, if I remember back all those years. It was because there are some sort of basic processes and, and, and rules, really, around using some techniques that makes them straightforward. But if you haven't got those basic processes and, and rules, they can be difficult to apply and also they can be a waste of time because you, you don't actually get to the heart of them. Mm -hmm. And that, to me 
is one of the issues around technique sometimes in our sort of BA world. Are you, sorry, Jonathan. Are you struggling when there's people applying tools and techniques because they feel they should or they have to or they've been told to and they're not they're not thinking through which technique should I use and how should I apply it? And well, that's the whole concept of it being a toolkit, not a recipe. Yes. You know, it's basically as a BA, you know, the breadth of your responsibilities could be enormous and the number of techniques you could use could be enormous and a major part of the skill is knowing that you know at this moment in time with these stakeholders and these constraints and, and this organization and this culture these are the techniques that i'm going to use and these are the techniques that i'm not going to use and, and that's part of the big skill i think yeah I'm, I'm not a fan of those recipe book approaches andrew as well um i, don't, I think you should always apply your toolkit relative to the context yes. you're working in. Back to your power interest grid, your, your stakeholders and, and how you're going to work with your stakeholders given your opportunity or problem context. Yeah. And the culture you're in, it's, uh, it's really key. Yeah. I remember once a couple of years ago um, talking about Poppet. Now, as you know, <laughs> I was one of the people who invented it. So, yes, you know, here I am talking about it. But I do think it's a really good technique. But I was talking to somebody and he said, I use Poppet in all sorts of different contexts mm -hmm. because it is so useful as a simple framework, a memoir, and you can use it if you're investigating a problem and trying to get to the root cause of it. You can use it if you're trying to do a gap analysis because you're trying to set out where you're trying to get to. You can use it when you're moving into the more change deployments where you're trying to work out which areas you need to make sure are ready for the change. And I love that sort of thing because actually that is all contextual and then you can sort of vary it as you go along, but you've got a simple technique there that you can just keep in your mind and just roll it out whenever you think it's useful. Yeah. What's not to love? Yeah. <laughs> I think when you've mastered a technique like that one, you can just use it as a thinking approach. It gives you an approach to, to thinking. Is that the phone going off, Debbie? <laughs> 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 Would you like to start that sentence again, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the things I really like about Poppet is it helps you with thinking. And when you've mastered a technique like that, you don't have to spend two hours drawing out a poppet. You can just use it to help you to think. And it, it's a bit like um, an empathy map where you, you're thinking through and, and, and links to the worldview in Catway. What, what is someone thinking, saying, doing, and, and feeling? And, and there's a structured technique and you can absolutely write it down, but it, it's, it's a lot better if you can just think that through and, and have conversations um, because you, you, you're comfortable, but these, these techniques are just an, an aid for thinking and, and that discussion, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, the more powerful techniques are ones that people can see themselves using outside of the work context. Yeah. This is something I can use in my day-to-day -day life, or my partner can use because they're setting up a new business, and, I, and yeah. I've had that sort of feedback from people. And I think those are the techniques that people really get engaged with. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, I had somebody tell me once that they were going to use Catwell to analyse their marriage because they oh. had a completely different worldview on their marriage than they did. Well, that's into dangerous territory. Wow. <laughs> that is super dangerous territory. That was a, oh, well, yes, I'm sure it will work very well. Thank you very much. Let's move on somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. do you, do you, is that person still happily married? Does it help them? Yeah. Do we know? We're not exploring that. But on a less controversial subject, SWOT analysis. Yeah. Don't you think 
you can use SWOT analysis for an entire organization or company, for a division, for a team, and for an individual. Yeah. Don't you yeah. Think? And that is, that's really powerful, you know, when you can look at it at all those different levels. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was one of those that I think is, is underrated in terms of people think it's simple and easy to use and apply. There's actually quite a lot behind the SWOT analysis in terms of the external and the internal factors that can influence your SWOT. And misunderstanding and misapplying the SWOT because you think it's easy, um, I think it's quite can be quite dangerous, but a really powerful technique in the right pair of hands, in the right context to help you think through where you are, either as a person, as a department, a team, or, or as a business. Um, you know, re really good technique. As long as people think of, sorry, Jonathan, think about the, what happens next. You know, I, I've identified these elements. You know, what, the, what do I do with this information? That's, that's the key bit. Yeah. yeah. And that's true of most techniques, isn't it? I, I, again, coming back to customer journey maps, you know, I'm quite focused a lot of the time on thinking in a customer's shoes, you know, and thinking about a persona and all that type of thing. But if you're going to build a customer journey map, you have to think, what am I going to do with it? Because, you know, drawing these diagrams and then, you know, putting them on a screen somewhere or printing them and putting them on a wall or on a whiteboard, no, that's not taking you anywhere. The whole point of techniques is they take you somewhere. And sometimes that gets a bit lost, I think. And I, you know, I was listening to something the other day, I think it might have been, I don't know, a YouTube or some sort of video where somebody said something about, oh yeah, we're building customer journey maps. And I'm like, well, why? You know, what are you doing with them? Mm. If you can't answer that question, you've just wasted a lot of time. Yeah, what's your outcome? What, what are you trying mm. to achieve? Yeah. Um, I can't have the pod complete without me, me mentioning Racy as the world's most underrated mm. technique <laughs> for being very clear on who's doing what. And, and I know there's another pod where I ranted about it, but I have to mention, I still, still do love Racy and detest Rasky. Um, but... Um, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't finish the pod without that. The other thing that we have to cover on today's pod, because Andrew, you are a guest, is we we have heard that you're really good at certain type of jokes uh, related to cheese. So, so do you have any that you can... You may have heard that I'm, I'm very fond of certain types of jokes. That's a different one. Oh. Okay, um, I'll ask you this then. What sort of cheese would you use to hide a small horse? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Andrew. What sort of cheese would you use to hide a small horse? We'd use mascarpone. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and they don't get any better, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm astounded by that and, and think that that is the point at which we should say thank you for listening. I hope you t you've enjoyed today's pod. Um, any ideas for future podcasts, please send them through to babrew at assistkd.com. And if you'd like to share any cheese jokes with us, we'd also be grateful to hear. Always looking for new material. <laughs> <laughs> We're always looking for new material for Andrew. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank you.